Let's begin with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. And we can rely on you for the blessings in our life, and we can rely on you for the governing of our hearts as we turn to your word. And we know that your word does not return to you empty. It does not return to you without having accomplished its purpose. We pray that you would fulfill your purpose, the purpose of your word, in shaping our hearts this morning so we can be like Jesus. Amen. Um, as we as we start with our message today, I want to think a little bit about this overall story. God's story can change your story. I want uh, us to think about how um, God uses brokenness and difficulty, humility, to uh, to change us and to mold us. This is actually not a part of the sermon. This is pre-sermon stuff. And how important it is to um, not not run away from uh, difficulties, not run away from our brokenness, not not um, shy away from being humble before God. Actually, that's actually it's very valuable to our story, and to um, and to embrace that, embrace our brokenness, and to. Worship God in our brokenness and to rely upon God. And because of that, uh, we are going to have an Ash Wednesday worship service this year. Um, Ash Wednesday is, uh, it is a, it's, I was going to write this down. It's like two, uh, two Wednesdays. Let me get, get my calendar out here. Uh, it is Wednesday the 26th. Ah, there we go. 6.30 p.m. <laughs> nice slide. Uh, if you've never been to an Ash Wednesday service, it's it's about coming together with our brokenness and relying on Him and recognizing that we depend on Him in every part of our life. Part of an Ash Wednesday service is a ceremony called the imposition of ashes, where you get a little cross of ashes on your forehead. You may have done that before. Um, there's nothing magical about that. It's symbolic of um, our desperation for God and how uh, even when we are low, we can humble ourselves before him and he'll lift us up. Um, so anyway, I invite you to our Ash Wednesday worship service this year. We won't think choir is taking the night off. Wednesday night, a small group is taking the night off. We'll be here together um, worshiping. Okay. Now on to the sermon. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That is in page 1136 of the Pew Bible. If you would like to use one of our Bibles, find one, one of the seats in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, uh, please come see me after the worship service, and I would love to give you a Bible. We're looking at your story, and if you recall from last week, we talked about personality, your personality, and at the beginning of the, the sermon, I said, a concern of mine. I didn't want the sermon to come across as being all about ourselves, right? 
It wasn't a, hey, celebrate your personality and it's great and, you know, you're a winner, go home. Um, it wasn't, that was not the, the purpose of the sermon to, um, to leave us thinking it was all about ourselves. And I have a concern with this sermon too. And at the end, I don't want us to feel like, wow, it's all about work. It's all about more stuff I have to do. Just thinking about that this morning. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but I don't want this sermon to come across as, wow, I'm, I'm just put it, having one more thing put on my calendar, my schedule, my to-do list. Okay, So keep that thought in mind. Um, so God creates us. He creates you. Last week we looked at the verse that says that we are God's handiwork. You are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. We looked at our personality and how um, God wants us to share a personality and that with our personality there is, um, there is there, there's a blessing that we extend to others as we live out our personality with one another. There's gifts in our personality. Today we're going to continue looking at gifts but um, using a different scripture to look at that. And it's in 1 Corinthians chapter two, 12. And we are talking about spiritual gifts, gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I would like to, um, actually, I think your, your bulletin, it says we're going to start at verse 4. I actually want to read verses 1 through 7 um, together. So starting with verse 1 now, about the spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. You were influenced somehow. Paul is talking about influences in our life. Verse 3, Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God, notice what Paul does is he talks about another influence, a deep influence in our life, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. No one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. That's not what the Holy Spirit would influence you to do. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit, because that is what the Holy Spirit influences us to do, to confess Jesus is Lord. Verse 4. Continuing to talk about the influence of the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. So notice what Paul is doing. He's talking about the same Spirit, one Spirit, one God, one Lord. What is he doing? He's, he's trying to unify this church that he is writing to, this church in, in Corinth. God wants a church that is one, that is without division, that is united. Where there's no division, there's no fighting. There's no hatred towards one another. So one of the issues that is going on in this church that Paul is writing to in this letter is there exists those things. There, people are envious over the giftedness of one another. These Christians, they're, they're envious over one another. There's, there's some fighting going on. There's some division. So, in verse 7, Paul says this, Now, 
to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Not for an individual's good, but for the common good. What I would like to do today is give you five statements that I think are pretty important about spiritual gifts. Um, we could say a lot, and, and next week we're going to have another sermon using a different scripture, but continue to talk about the spiritual gifts. I'm going to give five statements today that I think are pretty important. And the first one is regarding um, how the Holy Spirit gives us gifts for the common good, not the individual good. And it's kind of interesting when you think about how gifts work, that seems pretty opposite, right? Because when gifts are given almost universally, they are given for the individual's good, and then maybe there could be some common good that flows from it, right? But when you receive a birthday present or a Christmas present or anniversary present or whatever, retirement gift, I don't know, generally it's for your good, <laughs> for your benefit, for your blessing, and then maybe, maybe there, there, there could be some overflow onto others, and there could be some general good that comes from it. But with the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us, that is completely reversed. The Holy Spirit gives gifts for the common good, first and foremost. And then maybe, possibly, there could be some individual blessing that comes through. Probably so. But that's not the concern of spiritual gifts. The spiritual gifts are given for the common good. And so, uh, the first statement that I want to make here is, is this. That the spiritual gifts are given to unite and not divide. They are given so that we can be one church. That's the purpose of the gifts. Unity in the body. As each person uses his or her unique gifts, there's this beautiful result. Everyone benefits. Uh, The word for common good in verse 7, given for the common good. The word for common good is the word simfero. And it means the the bringing together of what is carried. What is carried is being brought together. And even though it's only partially related, I think of the word symphony, you know, to simfero. What's a symphony? Well, there's this coming together, this bringing together of all these voices and musical lines, right? And when that happens, you have something very beautiful. If one of the instruments in the orchestra, one of the sections or one of the instruments decides to not play, well, we would notice that, right? It would not be as fulfilling. It would not be as pleasant, as beautiful. If the trumpet's or just say, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to take a pass on this one. I'm going to you know, sit this one out. Okay, we would suffer because of that. It wouldn't be as beautiful. There's something missing there, isn't it? So it is with God's Spirit giving gifts. The Spirit has given you a gift. But if you don't share your gift, just like if some of the inf- instruments just take a pass and don't play, then it's not complete. 
Now, as we think about spiritual gifts and unity of the church, one thing that probably would destroy unity in the church more than anything regarding spiritual gifts, if they were thought as a way to show off, if they were seen as a way to compete with one another, to measure up with one another, to see kind of who got the preferable, the fun gifts, that would be a way to destroy unity. And so Paul writes, I want to jump ahead to verse 11. In verse 11, Paul says, All these gifts of the Holy Spirit are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. And so the second statement I want to give is this. God determines the gift of this. We don't. Because God has handcrafted you. He has placed that gift in you. Now, this is important uh, for a couple of reasons, but one is this. If we believe that we somehow had a part to play in earning or doing good enough to receive that gift or just be, you know, being a special enough person to receive that gift. Um, if we had a say in our giftedness, somehow we have slight ownership of that gift. And the more ownership I have of something gives me license to do with it as I would like to do. The more ownership I have with something. But what we need to see in the Bible is that these gifts are God's gifts. They, he gets to dis- determine who gets the gift. They're not ours at all. They're God's gifts. And he says, you didn't do anything to choose them or to receive them, to earn them. They're just a gift. And he has entrusted certain gifts to you. What does God want us to do with those gifts? Well, if we look to another scripture that talks about the spiritual gifts, 1 Peter chapter 4, this is what Peter says about the gifts of the Spirit. He said, each of you should use whatever gift, that word gift, same word that the Apostle Paul uses in, in 1 Corinthians 12 to talk about gifts. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to do what? To serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its varied forms. Now, every once in a while, when we receive a gift, it's a gift that we don't really like, right? Um, Maybe it's the wrong color. Maybe it's the wrong size. Maybe it's the wrong item altogether. You gave me a sweater. I I live in Texas. I don't need sweaters. I don't know. Um, maybe Maybe it's an item that you just care nothing about whatsoever. You ever gotten one of those gifts and you're like, this is, yeah, what do I do with this? Well, what do you do with one of those gifts? What do you do? Back in the day, you probably just shoved it in your closet or you threw it away, right? Today, we actually have a term for what we do with gifts that we don't, we, we re-gift them, right? We put them in a box and we give them to someone else. And so I was thinking just, just about you and with this gift. So we've received a gift from God, and it's a great gift. It's a great gift. It's, it's just the right one that he wanted to give you. 
It's not the wrong color. It's not the wrong size. not the wrong item. It's a great gift. But here's the deal. He wants you to give it away. So third point, re-gift what you have received from God. He's given you a great gift. How much, how much more excited should we be at re-gifting that to someone else, right? Re-gift what you have received from God. Let me use a different analogy. Um, say someone gives me something to give to my wife, Melissa. Say that something is something sweet, like a plate of brownies. Okay, that's mistake number one. And I guess that's the one and only mistake. Um, Because when that happens, say that I quickly gobble up all the brownies and then hand Melissa this empty plate and say, someone gave me brownies to eat and they were so good, look, I ate them all. It it really is amazing how close to reality that story actually could be. Um, Okay, that would be terrible, right? Because who was the gift for? The gift was not for me. The gift was for Melissa. I'm just the delivery guy. And that's, that's how it is with spiritual gifts. God has given you a gift, but it's really, you're the delivery guy. You're the delivery gal. That is for someone else, for the benefit of others. God gives them to you, but they aren't for you. They are for someone else, and he wants you to deliver them. He wants you to serve one another with these gifts. And something beautiful happens. Remember, this is about unity. God gives the gifts to the church to to make the church one and united. And beautiful things happen when we mutually share our gifts. This is the fourth point I want to make. Spiritual gifts grow our thanksgiving for one another. So Paul compares um, the church to the body of Christ, with the body of Christ. It's not even, I mean, he says... He says it is the body of Christ. It doesn't say you're like the body of Christ. It says you are the body of Christ. Each part of the body is carrying out its function. And that's using your gift. You're carrying out your function. In verse 21 of chapter 12, Paul says this, because we are the body of Christ, and there's different parts of the body. He says the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Of course they need one another. They need one another to carry out their functions very well. They are unique parts of the body. And they depend on one another. And we can be very thankful when the different parts are doing what they're supposed to do well. Verse 27, Paul writes, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles and second prophets, third teachers. So I want you to notice something. Right now he's listing out some gifts. There's your little note sheet. There's a little place you can write down some of these gifts. Paul starts listing some apostles, prophets, teachers, some gifts. 
He's not saying these are the most important gifts. He's just thinking through the church. He's thinking through what God is doing in starting this this new church, building up this church, growing this church that God had started. And he says, first, there's this gift of apostleship. And the word apostle really means like someone who was commissioned for something and then sent out to do it. So you might think of um, the end of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, when Jesus is with his up his disciples. He's about to make them apostles, about to commission them and send them out. He says in uh, verse 19, Therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing the name in the in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Go out. I'm commissioning you. We, we often refer to that scripture as what? The Great Commission. And they went out over the next few months and years, and they began a lot of churches, and the church grew. But I'm not so sure we should limit the this gift saying that only those that go out and build churches are gifted with being apostles. I think of a lady in um, a church I was with in Northwest Houston who said one day, I think I need to uh, start a Bible study at my work. I don't, I'm not quite sure how to do it, but I think I need to do this. And um, she had leadership gifts. She didn't have the resource, the curriculum. She needed a little assistance, and so we helped find her something that she could use in her office or gave her a little equipping in that. But then she took that, and she made it happen, and she started this Bible study in a workplace. She felt commissioned by God to start something, and we sent her out, and she did it. So if you have the gift of apostleship, maybe that's what you would do. Maybe you start a ministry in the community, a food pantry or transportation ministry, driving people to run errands or to get them to and from church. We have the vision to start something, but then you provide this, initially, this overall, you know, getting it started, overall vision and guidance to get it off the ground. Then Paul says there's the gift of prophecy. Now, prophecy can be kind of a loaded word because we see Hollywood movies and it's about some prophet and that prophet's doing some strange things. Um, Predicting the future. And that's not entirely what prophecy in the Bible was, was about. In fact, predicting the future... As you look at the role of prophet of the prophet in the Bible, it's maybe a small part of what that prophet would would do. The prophet's primarily primary role in Scripture was to give people the right word about the present. Someone who would reveal the right truth from God for the present moment, the right word from God. Might have been a corrective word. It might have been a guiding word or an encouraging word. Um, a word of warning, perhaps. Whatever it was, it was God's right word for the present moment. And that's kind of what this gift is about. It's hearing from God. What's the right word, God, for this present moment? And sometimes people with this gift, they they kind of sense that from the Holy Spirit in them. This, I think I know what God's word is. And, and that word could be revealed in Scripture. <laughs> yes, this is, the, this is the Scripture that God wants us to, to know right now. Or, or may, sometimes a person with a prophetic gift may receive a vision 
from God. Here's my right word for the present moment. But what is someone with the gift of prophecy doing? It's helping build up this church that is now growing. And then Paul says there's this gift of teaching. Those who can help explain God's word and help us to know how to apply God's word to our lives. So apostleship, prophecy, teaching. Notice something about those gifts. They're pretty foundational for building up the church. Then at the end of verse 28, Paul mentions gifts that help communicate the presence of God. So gifts of apostle, prophecy, teaching, then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. So those, again, those are some gifts that are listed. So the gifts of miracle and healing Miracles and healing aren't, are not gifts of being able to supernaturally do whatever you want. That's not, that's not some superpower. These gifts are about having this deep prayer life and then sensing what God's work is, what God's will is in a certain situation. This is exactly what Jesus did. If you think about what Jesus did, he didn't heal every single person that he saw who was sick. He sensed from God this is my work, that you would heal this person, that you would go and heal this person in this circumstance. That is what someone with a gift of healing or miracles does, is this, has this, this prayer life with God where they seek out, God, what is your work? What would you have me pray for, for this person or for this situation? And to let God do his thing. Paul mentioned uh, the gift of tongues, um, having the ability to pray, to speak this, this language that's intelligible to, to God. And again, that's kind of a loaded word sometimes today because of just our past experiences uh, with, with that gift. Um, people can react with skepticism or concern when they think of speaking in tongues. Why? Well, because there's been some historic abuse of that gift, it seems, where in some church traditions, there's been this pressure where if you are not speaking in tongues, that means that you don't have the Holy Spirit in you. If you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, it doesn't really mean you're, means you're not really a Christian. And so this, it seems to me, this, this abuse, this pressure for people to speak in tongues, and yet Paul already said that God is the one who distributes the gifts as he chooses. So again, gifts are used to unite, not divide. If the spiritual gifts are ever used in a way to make someone feel second class or like they're not good enough, then they're not, then they're being misused. Anyway, speaking in tongues is a way to communicate the presence of God. God understands. There's a, a, a similar gift, the interpretation of tongues, where a person can actually interpret the, what God can hear. And again, that is to communicate the presence of God, just like healing and miracles. So Paul has given gifts that help build up the church and now that, that help show the presence of, of God. And then Paul mentions a few gifts that help that uh, focus on helping the work of the body of Christ get done. 
the gifts of helping and guidance, he mentioned in verse 28. Um, and the helping gift is just that, just, just helping. It's helping someone do what God has given them to do, coming alongside someone and, and helping. doesn't really matter what the job is. I'm just helping. A person with the gift of helping wants to do it to be a blessing. And the cool thing about this is it, it's, it's something that not only uh, helps the work of the church get done, but it communicates the presence of God. Because what does Psalm 121 say? I lift up my eyes to the hills, ask a question, from where does my help come from? What's the answer? My help comes from the Lord. Somehow you are, you're being God's representative, sharing this gift of, of helping. You are, you're being God's help. And then I mentioned the gift of guidance, or that Paul mentions the gift of guidance, and the Greek word for that actually is the word for steering a ship. We have some people that work on ships here. Maybe they like to steer ships. What that word meant, um, other than for steering a ship, really, on the sea, on the sea is uh, to administrate, to help set the course, to, to get things moving in a, in a certain direction, to help get the work of the church done. to show leadership, organization. Now, again, those are some gifts that Paul listed. They're not all the gifts. And so my final point that I want to make on spiritual gifts is this. The Holy Spirit is limitless in how he can gift you. Those are some gifts, not all the gifts. So Jerry Falwell. uh, That is a name that has some, some positive and maybe some negative baggage connected to it. Um, Jerry Falwell started his church back in the 1950s with just a handful of people, just 20, I don't know, small number of people. And when you have just a handful of people, it's kind of easy to remember people's names, right? Maybe. Um, But if it's a small number, it gives you a better chance of remembering their names. Jerry's church grew to over 20,000 members. But here's the remarkable thing. He had this giftedness of remembering names. Um, He did not know the name of every person in his church, but if he met you, he probably remembered your name. There are stories of him going, you know, on a speaking event out of town. He'd speak. He'd come back the next year. And if he had met you that first year and heard your name, there's a good chance he would remember your name the next year. He had this gift of being able to remember people's names. He was asked about that. How can you do that? He said, this is not my gift. It is God's gift. This is from God. Now, if you look at the different scriptures on spiritual gifts in the Bible, I don't think there's one. Name remembering. Some have the gift of name remembering. Um, God is limitless with the ways that he can, can gift you. So I want you to start thinking about your gift. And there's space at the bottom of your note sheet. You can scribble some thoughts. What is my gift or what are my gifts? Um, how do you determine your gifts? One of the things that our church does is we hand out a spiritual gift inventory, and some of you have taken that. And, and the one that we hand out now is probably 
I don't know, second rate to the one we used to use three years ago. I don't know. I've only been here a year and a half. But my point is, we've used spiritual gift inventories in Hope Church. Um, a spiritual gift inventory is where you're, you're asked some questions like, um, basically it's this, what do you like to do and what are you good at? And, and then you're given a set number of gifts that may be yours. And depending on the inventory, you might see 18 possible gifts, or it might be 16, or it might be 20. The one that we give out now has seven. Now, what, why? Why are there different number of gifts listed? Does that mean there's disagreements with people on how many gifts there are? I don't think so. I think that we're just coming up with different ways to help people think through what their gifts are. And, and I think about this gift of, of administration, the, st- the ship steering well, how is that different from the gift of leadership, which Paul also writes about in Romans chapter 12? That's the chapter we're going to look at next week. How is administration and leadership different? I don't, the Bible's not really clear on it. it. really isn't. How is the spiritual gift of helps, which we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, how is that different from the gift of service in Romans chapter 12? I don't know. The Bible's not too clear on it. There's probably um, some very helpful general ways for us to understand the gifts. (laughs) And sometimes if we get so narrow-focused, it can actually handcuff us from figuring out what our gift is and then using it because we're not sure. Is this administration? Is this leadership? Is this service? Is this helps? I don't know. So here's my encouragement to you. Take a spiritual gift inventory. That's great. That's a great. Don't think that these are the only ways that God can gift you that, that are identified in that inventory. So probably a better thing to do is um, to start with, what am I good at? What are, what are my gifts in general? What are my gifts? Because that could be a way that God is actually gifting you, giving you that gift for you to share to give away and bless others. And then to serve, to try it. If you're not quite sure exactly what this gift is, in the church, serve, use it, and, and see what happens. And this is, this is, remember at the beginning of the sermon, I said, I hope this doesn't come across as, oh, it's just another thing for me to do. You're asking me to do one more thing? Instead, I want us to see what Paul is doing with the Corinthian church and recognize he's giving them a vision, a vision that I hope we will get very excited about so that sharing your gift doesn't seem like more work to do, but rather it is something I can do to live into this vision that, that God has for us. See, when Paul wrote to the first Corinthians about spiritual gifts, I'm pretty sure he was not introducing a brand new idea to him. It's not like Paul had this eureka moment. Whoa, there are spiritual gifts. I've got to, I've got to tell about these. I, I think they recognized. I think Paul recognized. I think Peter recognized about the spiritual gifts because he wrote about it. We read that scripture from 1 Peter 4 earlier. I think the church recognized, yeah, the spirit of God, the grace of God, it, it influences us. We're influenced, and, and, and we receive these gifts. And so Paul's talking about something they knew about. 
They were just misusing. So Paul gives them a vision of what God was doing, wanted to do in their midst, and that was for them to become the mature body of Christ. And that's what God wants to do here, for us to be the mature body of Christ, where Christ is experienced in his fullness. And that's the vision, that as you share your gift, it's not just one more thing to do. It's, it's what we do together to experience the fullness of Jesus Christ here at Hope Church. I say this, one, because I think that's a vision that God wants us to have, but two, there's an implication of that, and that is that church should be the, the, should be the best time of your week. If, if we're experiencing the fullness of Christ together, there's not much that can top that, right? Um, and I also know that that's not the reality for some. I mean, it's, you know, I, I know that we come here and we can leave disappointed. <laughs> we come here and we might get in a fight with someone. We come here and might be like, oh, I just, that was a miss for me today. And that's not God's vision for what church is to be about. It's about to be the full expression of the body of Christ. And that happens, it seems to me, Paul says, when each part of the body is using his or her giftedness. Does that make sense? So... Um, think about your giftedness. Write it down. Talk to someone about it. Come to Wednesday night, small group, 6.30 this Wednesday. We're going to be talking about this more. Uh, If you are unclear of your giftedness or how to use it, talk to me. Find an elder. Find someone in the church you can talk to about that. Come back next week because we'll talk more about spiritual gifts. Because your gift was not meant for you. It was meant for you to re-gift to someone else. And when we collectively do that, we are the full expression of Jesus Christ to one another. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for entrusting us with these gifts. We pray that we would not feel those as a burden, but rather as a blessing, certainly as we share them and we are become a blessing to others and the, the body is blessed. Lord, we pray that you would help us to just be good stewards of your grace in all its various forms and share our gifts. In Jesus' name, amen.